And Father, we pray that you would bless Wayne, Sandy, and Richard as they put their talents and time and give them freely all week, every week, to lead us in worship. We know that that's, that's opening the invitation for attack. For um, So we're praying that your Holy Spirit covers them. You fill them. You would bless them. Right on cue, you're a little late, God. Um, <laughs> so please do watch over them in Jesus' name. Amen. Now they're covered, so we're good. Um, judges, judges six, please. Judges six. So in Judges, we're um, there's some similarities to me in this book with First Corinthians. First Corinthians was a church that had some chaos going on. Judges is a book where there's some chaos going on. And we've actually mirrored so far how Judges uses, God uses a lot of odd people, a lot of odd shapes and sizes and types. And he uses them because he is going to show his power, his strength, his wisdom through the foolishness and weakness of the world. And 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says that, that God is using the foolish things to put to shame the things that are wise, the weak things to put to shame the things that are strong, so that no flesh may boast in his presence. God is into working through oddities to get glory. So in Judges, we're looking at some oddities that God uses. Last week, we looked at a lefty and a lady. Um, God used a left-handed person who would have been considered very strange in those times and a lady, which was definitely very unusual in those times to be used by God. But he worked through both of them to save Israel. Tonight, another oddity, a cowardly lion a warrior who's meant to be brave and courageous is going to do something incredibly brave and courageous while he is freaking out the whole time. God is going to use a coward and turn him into a lion. Man, is Jesus, uh, is God odd the way he works? Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah who came as a lamb. God is odd. So let's pray for this. Father, we are no longer slaves to fear. We are your children. We can deduce from that that when we live in fear, we are not living out from our position as your sons and daughters. And so, Father, when fear squeezes in, when we choose to live as the coward instead of the lion, remind us, remind us who we are, Remind us that you're with us. And remind us that you don't need more to get your work done. You can do a very big job with very, very little. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Judges 6 verse 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And Yahweh gave them into the hand of Midian. That's, those are neighbors who are not nice. 
He gave him into the hands of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel because of Midian, overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to Yahweh. Sin will cramp you in a cave of cowardice. Sin will squeeze you. It will reduce you. It will constrain you. It will literally cramp your style and make you small and belittle you. Now, in the book of Judges, there is this cycle. You may remember from last week that we're going to see over and over in this book. Israel's going to sin, which means that they are going to get off of the plan God has for them. And they're going to go after the other gods. Then, because of that, living the way God did not design them to live, they're going to suffer. So they're first going to sin. Second, they're going to suffer. Third, they're going to cry out for salvation and God will send a savior to deliver them. The book of Judges calls them judges. There's 12 of them in this book. Here we see Israel has sinned. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh and Yahweh gave them into the hand of the Midianites for seven years. They did what is evil. They sinned. Now they're suffering. Look at how they're suffering in verse 2. The hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. Brothers and sisters, this is pathetic. Israel is so oppressed, they're so squeezed, they're so constrained by the presence of those whom they've welcomed into their life through their mistakes that they are now crawling into dens and holes in the mountains to hide themselves from the Midianites. Their sin is cramping their style very literally. Now, the, the Midianites were brutal. It says that every time they planted their crops, Israel planted crops, they would come in and take them. They waited for the perfect season. Right before Israel began their harvest, they would come in and harvest it for them. And whatever they didn't take, their, their camels would stampede across the remaining crops, destroying it and perhaps damaging future crops to come. Israel is literally starving, and they're crawling into caves to hide And perhaps you've done this. Perhaps you feel this way. Perhaps you are in a hole right now. Perhaps you have been calling on the mountains to hide you from life, from situations. 
And sometimes it's just unfortunate. And sometimes you've invited it because you have gotten off of God's plan. The bottom line is shame causes us to hide from life. And shame will come and rob all the fruit that you've been trying to grow. And it will leave you with nothing. And it will say, you are worthy to be in this small cramped space and nowhere else. Make yourself smaller. Don't dare venture out of this little place because that's all God has for you. And we buy it and we believe it. Why? Because to venture out is scary. Because there are Midianites who might hurt us. There's a world that's told me I'm not capable of being enough in it. So we welcome the cave and we close ourselves in it. And dangerous also is when we don't understand the cycles in our own lives, that we too move through sin, suffering, and salvation. That yes, we make mistakes and we sometimes suffer for them, but God is so gracious to save us from them. He wants to deliver us. And he delivers Israel again and again. Why? Because they don't understand that God then, after he saves us from our sin and suffering, wants to save us for the act of service. That I have learned what a life like this, like hiding in a cave and being robbed of all your fruits, I've learned what that suffering looks like. Now I want to serve others and help them not make those mistakes. I want to lead them in a fruitful way, in a way where they can enlarge themselves and be a lion and not a coward. But Israel never enters into this help their neighbor phase. They don't serve each other. They get saved and they try to just preserve their happy feelings, their great stories. Oh, God's so good. And they try to preserve that. And what happens is you and I are human and we end up sinning anyways at some point. But because the message is, no, 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 live in the salvation happy phase. Keep keep sustaining the good thoughts and the good vibes and come together at church and tell each other how fine you're doing. And keep hiding your sins and mistakes and your weaknesses and your struggles. Keep hiding that because we all got to just pretend we're in the salvation phase. Well, when we try to sustain that and make that the story, then when you do fall back into stage one of sin, there is deep shame because you feel isolated from everybody else. Nobody else is going through this. Something must be wrong with me. And here Israel goes back through the cycle that they've already been delivered from three times. We saw last week. They're back in it for the fourth time. And so what do they think? We're worthless. We can never get our act together. That's when we get cornered and cramped into a cave of cowardice. So there they are. But God is going to save them because they cried out, and he's going to keep doing that for them. Verse 11, Now the angel of Yahweh came and sat under the terebinth at Afra, which belonged to Joash, the Abarite. Okay, get there. (laughs) The world letters are literally like moving around on me. Um, the Abbe, the Abbezerite. Okay, well, there we go. I even practiced it. It didn't work out, I guess. Uh, while his son Gideon was... Be- so here's the point, though. There's Gideon. There's this guy named Gideon. Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide. To hide it from the Midianites. This is so good. So Gideon is no better than everybody else, and he's hiding. And look, he's got some wheat left over. And he, so what do you do when you're threshing wheat? Um, th- th- there's a chaff, the little 
part you don't want to eat because the grain is inside and you got to separate that from the grain. And so there's a process Israel would use. And often there'd be a flat, hard space that the whole community would use. They would come together and they would throw their grain on the hard floor and you'd either let an animal walk over them or the people would walk over them so that the pressure would separate the chaff from the wheat. And then the wind would blow and the wind would cause would pick up the light chaff and the heavy wheat would stay on the ground. And so then they can gather and have wheat, which they can then grind up and make bread with. Well, Gideon is doing this process, first of all, alone. Second of all, in a wine press, which was a good second option because a wine press was a hard, flat surface, but you would instead stomp grapes and then the juice from the grapes would come out and they would trickle down into barrels or pots and then they would close those up and let them ferment in some place. Um, He's using a wine press to do this, which is a much smaller place than a normal threshing floor would be. Gideon also is feeling the squeezing, restraining, cramping suffering that sin and shame can bring in our lives. He's feeling it too. And second, uh, notice also that what is happening here is you have somebody doing something in a place that it ought not to be done. This is what it looks like when we get off of God's plan. We start trying to do one effort in a totally wrong place. We're threshing wheat in a wine press. It just doesn't work well. Yet that's what we always try to do in our own ways. So here's Gideon. It's a great scene. He's trying to hide his wheat from the Midianites, probably even himself, because he doesn't want to be picked on. So he's where they wouldn't think to look, a wine press. And that's where God thinks to look, because where is God looking for saviors? He isn't going to the high palaces. He isn't going to the rich. He's going to the odd people. Oh, I know who to pick. A guy who doesn't even know where he's supposed to thresh wheat. That sounds like a great candidate. So in verse 12, the angel of Yahweh appeared to him and said to him, Yahweh is with you, O mighty man of valor. Gideon rolls his eyes and said to him, Please, sir, if Yahweh is with us, Why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not Yahweh bring us up from Egypt? But now Yahweh has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And Yahweh turned to him and said, Now, I'm accused of such accusations. You've abandoned us. You're not the God who you were to our forefathers. You're not delivering us. I would want to say, yeah, yeah, but listen, this is why, or this is what you guys are doing. I'm trying to call you guys back into my plan. I'm trying to defend myself. God doesn't do that. God doesn't need to defend himself. He just goes right to the heart of what Gideon is up to. He says to Gideon in 14, he turned to Gideon and said to him, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? Go in this might of yours. What might? The might that Gideon has just shown Yahweh by arguing with him in anger. Someone who can just rant off angry words toward God. We sometimes might say, ooh, step away. The lightning bolt is coming. (laughs) But God hears that and says, ooh. That is passion and strength I can use. It's just not going in the right direction at the moment. 
If I can take his passion and redirect that, I can deliver Israel. And this is what we need to understand. Is we see people for who they are, and we especially see them for the very things about us in them that bug us. Oh, they're angry. It's probably because you're angry. But God doesn't look at Gideon and say, whoa, dude, chill. I was about to deliver you guys, but whatever. If you're that upset, I'm not going to. You know that's what you would think, and me. I would be, I'm, I'm full of sass sometimes. I would probably say that. But God looks at Gideon and says, I know that you're living like a coward, but I'm not going to call that out right now. Cowards do that. They, just, they show aggression through their words, but they can't really back it up. I know you're living like a coward, but I see a lion. And I love that God sees not exactly who we are in the moment, but who we will be when he's done working with us. And I love that he treats us like that. That God looks at us and who we are in his son and says, that is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That is my beautiful, perfect daughter in whom I'm proud. Because he sees us as we will be when he's done with us. And if God can see us as we will be, shouldn't we practice believing the best in each other? Looking past, oh, his angry answer and seeing, oh, wow, look at that raw material God can transform and use. Raw materials. Yeah, raw foods don't always taste good. But they become amazing meals when cooked right. Guys, we're just half-baked pineapples. (laughs) I think I meant pancakes, but um, we're, God sees potential if we will let him work with us. And maybe Gideon at this point is now standing a little bit taller. 15, he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. We're doubly low. And Yahweh said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, well, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come and bring you a present and set it before you. And so Yahweh says, I will stay until you return. So Gideon goes and he grabs a boatload of food to offer him. This is a time when food's scarce. And then um, the angel of the Lord touches it with his staff, and it lights up, and he disappears. And Gideon's like, oh, my goodness, it is true. I have to do something about this. So Yahweh, in verse 23, says to Gideon, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Gideon was worried. Oh, my gosh, I saw God face to face. I'm going to die. And he's like, you're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar there to, the, to Yahweh and called it Yahweh's peace. To this day, it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abizrites. That night, Yahweh said to him, All right, Gideon, it's time. Take your father's bull 
It's like telling a teenager to take your dad's car. And the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. And build an altar to Yahweh your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. Okay, your dad's really proud of these idols he's put up. I want you to take those down with his animals and then use the wood from these idols to burn those animals as an offering to me. So good. God's just plundering the gods of this world for worship. It's like, I'm not worried about Baal. I'll use him to worship me. And so Gideon is being used in this. Now, in verse 27, we see more of Gideon's cowardice. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as Yahweh had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. Is that wrong? God didn't tell him to do it in the daytime. God just said, do it. Gideon's doing the best he can. What we do see, though, is that there is fear in Gideon's heart. It's giving us a lens into the humanness of this hero, that he, like you and I, has fears. Um, so <laughs> the town wakes up early in the morning. Behold, the altar bale's broken down. The asher beside it's cut down. The second bull's offered on it. And then verse 29, they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. Okay, so remember when Gideon was mad at God and God didn't defend himself? He's like, okay, whatever, I can use that anger. Look what happens here, verse 31. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal? Will you fight for him? Will you defend him? Will you argue for him? Or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself because his altar has been broken down. What a great answer. (laughs) These guys, oh, our god is destroyed. Get revenge. Hold on. If your god is truly great, he doesn't need you to defend him. Be careful. Be careful next time you're feeling pressed on by others. God doesn't need you to yell for him. God just needs you to give people a hug for him. Right? Because the more we yell and hoot and holler that, no, 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 trust us, our God's real, the less authentic it feels to people. If he's so true, why do you have to scream so loud? Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerubbabel. That is to say, let Baal contend against him because he broke down his altar. Now, all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of Yahweh clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet and the Abizrites. 
were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And they sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, and they went up to meet them. All right, call to arms. We got rid of the idols. We're devoted back to the way of Yahweh. Gideon's got people around him now. He's blown the trumpet. They've come. It's time to go fight the enemy. And Gideon is still terrified. So, for two nights, he does this bargain with God. All right, God, I'm going to go to bed. This fleece here, when I wake up, this fleece, I want it to be wet, but the ground to be dry. Next morning, it happens. Uh, uh, oh, okay, uh, just, just to be sure, um, tomorrow morning, let's reverse that. Let's make the ground wet and the fleece dry. That would really get me to believe And so the next morning, it happens. And then Gideon has to wake up with the realization that we're really doing this thing. Here we go. So Gideon, our cowardly lion, is moving in to action. Chapter 7, verse 1. Then Jerubbaal, that is Gideon. Remember, Jerubbaal means contends against Baal. And all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morech in the valley. Yahweh said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, in other words, whoever wants to go back to their cramped cave, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. So 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. Two-thirds, more than two-thirds of Gideon's army leaves. That will fill you with courage. We don't know yet the story will tell us later, is that Midian has, well, you already know they have camels that apparently outnumber the sand on the seashore. But they have 135,000 army, people in their army. 135,000. Gideon had 32,000 that showed up, already completely overwhelmed odds-wise, and now two-thirds of them leave. Gideon is feeling really little right now. And Yahweh said to Gideon, verse 4, after two-thirds leave, Yahweh says to him, the people are still too many. At this point, you're going, God, you are too odd. Gideon was thinking, how can I get more people? And God's like, Gideon... We need less people. And somewhere in another universe, you can hear Effie Trinket saying, may the odds be ever in your favor, Gideon. Because they're not. We're going to slim down more. So this is God's plan. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. 
So, verse 5, Gideon brought the people down to the water. And Yahweh said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. Okay, so there's two types of drinking styles. This is what they're looking for. In verse 6, the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. Gideon's looking around going, oh, I really hope it's not them. But all the rest, so, uh, what is that? Seven, uh, 9,700 people. Uh, all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And Yahweh said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give Midianites into your hand. And he was going, oh, the 300 you're going to send away, right? No, they're the ones. No. So we've gone from 32,000 to 300. And they're about to square off against 135,000. And if you do the math, that's the odds of 450 to 1. <laughs> one of Gideon's men against 450 Midianites. Um, so the others went home. So in verse 8, the 300 were set. Verse 9, the same night Yahweh came to him. Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. I can't imagine what Gideon's thinking through this whole process. He's like, are you kidding me right now? Are you serious? If I didn't have this fleece test for two nights, and if you didn't consume my offering with your staff and disappear on me, I would really be doubting what's going on right now. And in verse 10, so God is sensing this, right? God knows we're human. He never asked us to be fearless. He just asked us to walk trustingly. So he's going to work with Gideon here. Verse 10. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. Gideon is still afraid because he sends, he and his servant go down to the camp. It's at night. And they creep up to one of the tents on the edge and they put their ear and their eavesdropping and they hear them talking. He's like, bro, this is inside the tent. Bro, I had a weird dream last night. Yeah, what was it? There was this barley loaf and it was rolling and it rolled into our camp and it took out the main tent in the center and everything collapsed. What do you think it means? <gasps> this has to mean Gideon, the Israelite. He's going to come and conquer us. And Gideon's sitting there listening to this and he's going, are you kidding me? So he now has the fourth sign and confirmation that Yahweh is with him. And so it says that he worshipped when he heard this. Verse 15, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, arise, let's do this. Gideon is feeling so much more confident now. Arise, for Yahweh has given the host of Midian into your hand. And now Gideon is going to commit. Where he's kind of like, I don't really know what's going on. He's committing now. 300, we're somehow going to do this. God has been using odd judges in the past. He's going to use an odd me and an odd 300 people to get this done. So in verse 16, he divided the 300 men into three companies. So he got 100, 100, and 100. And put trumpets into their hands of all them and empty jars with torches Inside the jars. Okay. Hold out your left hand. Good. Here's a trumpet. 
Here's a trumpet. Here's a trumpet. Now hold out your right hand. Here's a jar with a torch in it. Here's a jar with a torch in it. Here's a, and they're holding their hands and looking. These are soldiers, right? They're looking. I guess we can sing Mary Had a Little Lamb with this one. And then they're looking at the jar and they're like, this torch, you can't even see it. It's hidden. Where's the sword? Where's the shield? What kind of a battle is this? And Gideon just turns and says, dude, I don't know what's been going on. I didn't pick 300. Yahweh did, and he's odd. So in verse 17, he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I, came to, when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout, for Yahweh and for Gideon. So, eight, 19, Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch. Okay, I love this. So it's like, it's late in night, right? It's very dark. Midianites are in this valley and, and there's, this, there's this hill that's kind of cresting around their camp. And so Gideon and his men, his hundred, are in the center. There's a hundred over here on this side. Of the, and then there's a hundred over here on this side. So they're sort of making this like crescent around their camp. There's only 300 of them. They're there in the dead of night. And the guards are just being changed. Okay? So you got these fresh guards that are coming in. And that's when Gideon springs the trap. The attack. Um, so you have to imagine, it's night, sleepy, late, you know you've got the odds in your favor, um, only a few apparently have had this dream where they're worried, and so that's when then we see in uh, the middle of 19, they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars they held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. Sorry, I got the hands wrong, but there you go. And they cried out, a sword for Yahweh and for Gideon. And every man stood in his place around the camp. So now zooming into the valley, the enemy, and all the army ran. They just hear this commotion. The changing of the guard just happened. They're probably not even watching. They're just, they're, sh- they're settling into their long shift. And all of a sudden, what is going on? And people that were just settling into their tent from their one shift are like, what is going on? And then people are waking up. What is going on? And the generals are looking at each other like, what did you do? What did you do? And they're all confused. And we see in verse 22, when they blew the 300 trumpets, Yahweh set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth uh, Shitta toward Zerah, as far as the border of Abel Melolah and by Tobeth. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from Manasseh. And they pursued after Midian. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim saying, The British are coming. The, no, just kidding. Um, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. So now he's got more than 300 people joining him. And they're now full on going to encircle the Midianites. This is a full on route. So all the men of Ephraim came out, and they captured the waters as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. This just sounds like a good reality TV show. <laughs> the many adventures of Oreb and Zeb. <laughs> they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. 
Then they pursued Midian, and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. <laughs> okay, brothers and sisters. Gideon was a cowardly lion, but he was a lion. And we saw him roar mightily in this story. He didn't believe that about himself. It was God who looked at him and said, you are a lion. Yeah, you're a coward, but you are a lion at heart. Because I know who I made you, and I know what I've put in you, and I see the fight in you. You're angry at me. I want to transform that anger into the roar of a lion for me. We see that Gideon's afraid. He won't even tear down his dad's altars um, in the broad daylight. I probably wouldn't either. Night sounds like a good option. He takes him down at night because he's afraid. He's afraid on, right before battle, so he asks not just for one, but for two tests with God. Okay, make the fleece do this, make it do that. Well, I'm kind of believing. He's reduced from 30,000-something men to 300 He's still afraid, so he has to hear the dream in enemy lines to believe that Yahweh is for him. And then he's convinced, and that's when he can say, Arise! The, the coward cramped in the cave was able to emerge and say, Let's roar. It's time. And I cannot help but see and notice that there is a, a connection between He's going from a coward to a lion, being connected with, going from 30,000 men whom you feel somewhat confident in to 300 men whom you have no confidence in. And it's as if God knows that we have this tendency to hide ourselves because we feel like the world tells us that we're not big enough. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You don't have enough resources. You're too little. Not enough, not enough, not enough, not enough. And we go around thinking, I need more. I need more. I need more. More support, more strength, more skill, more training, more people, more love, more likes. And Yahweh tells Gideon, listen, son, you have too much. You don't need more. The people are still too many. You're going to know me better and you're going to have my power flow through you more fluidly if you can shave off this too much. And we hinder ourselves when we say, I'm not good enough. I will try to be better so that God can serve I can serve God. He can use me. But God never says, well, that's it. We don't see him saying that in the Bible. That's it. That's not enough. Give me more. He always says, you are enough because of what I'm going to do in you. Amen. Remember Abraham when he offered his son Isaac? And God says, Stop. Abraham was doing what a lot of pagan nations did, offering a son to their God for favor. Why? Because the gods are demanding. The gods of this world are greedy, and they always say, you're not enough, you need to give more. And Yahweh shows up to Abraham and says, whoa, 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 I'm not like them. I don't need more. 
I don't need you to give me more and more. I'm a God of grace. And I'm the one who's going to give you more and more and more. I'm the one who's going to do more and more and more. And we sometimes hide in our shame and in our sin and in our insecurity and we're cramped in the cave because we truly believe that we are not enough. We're too little when God is trying to draw us out and say, rise, a lion, you have too much. There's too many. Let's slim that off a bit. And it's in the loss of some of our substance that the true nature comes out. The the nature that God has created in his image comes out. Your true self, the one that God has made you to roar as. See, we are lions and we wrap our lives. We bubble wrap our lives with all these things that make ourselves feel more secure. Well, if I'm good at this and I'll feel more secure. If I look like this, I'll feel more secure. And sometimes those things just make us more cowardly. And what God is in the business of doing is stripping some of these things away because we're actually making ourselves less with more. And he's stripping those away to say, no, 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 no. The real power is deep within. And I'm going to use that raw material. I don't need you to make it better. I will do that. I will do that. So come out of your cave and let's take off these layers a bit. You remember the other person who came out of a cave Lazarus. And it was Jesus who did the roaring and said, Lazarus, come out. And he comes out. And what is the next thing Jesus says? Unbind, someone said that, unbind his grave clothes and let him go. And we do this to ourselves. We mummify ourselves, trying to protect ourselves because fear tells us, I'm not good enough. I'm not enough. I haven't done enough. I failed too much. And God all the time saying, stop, 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 stop that. Let's unwrap that. Come out of your cave. I'm calling your name. I want you to roar. I want you to be the lion you were made to be. So what does he do? He will put us in scary situations. He will ask us to do things we don't feel like we are able to do to teach us that we're not able to do it, but that it's him working within our, 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 our stripped away self that he's going to do it through that. And so sometimes you might be thinking, I don't know how I can do this 450 against one. I don't know why God is shaving me from 32,000 to 300. I don't know why he's taking my sword away and giving me a trumpet. I don't know why he's doing these things. And the answer is because you are full of too much fakeness, too much of you, too much of your own man-made security. And Yahweh wants to remove it. Sin will cramp you. It will make you smaller, but God will shave and whittle and form to make us stronger. You guys have seen the famous statue by Michelangelo, the statue of David, considered one of the most amazing pieces of art in the entire history of the world. It's been said many times that how, how he did that was simply by chipping off pieces of marble. The David was in that hunk of marble. It took the artist to eliminate the extra to bring the beauty out. This is what God is doing with Gideon, and this is what he does with us. He eliminates the extra so that the coward becomes a lion. 
Go with me, please, to 2 Corinthians. I told you this parallels Corinthians a lot. 2 Corinthians 4. That's in the New Testament. Gospels, Acts, Romans, Corinthians. In Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, we're going to see, I hope you're going to see, I hope I don't have to make this too obvious, you're going to see something that should say, oh, this is just like the story of Gideon. Yeah, it is. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. Now, that's, of course, the creation story. Let God, uh, uh, let, uh, let light shine out of darkness has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So God has put his light in us. Okay, verse 7. But we have this treasure. What treasure? The light that the God who spoke light into darkness, that light that God put in us, that's the treasure in us. So we have this treasure in jars of clay. You are the torch in the pot that Gideon and his men smash and say for Yahweh and for Gideon and win the battle. They roar a mighty roar. We have this treasure, this light in jars of clay to show. Now remember what Gideon was told by God. You have too many men because if you guys win, they're going to say, oh, we did it. We were so clever. I need to eliminate you down to 300 so that the glory goes to me. So there's no doubt who wins this battle and who you need to trust. And, and here Paul says, but we have this treasure, this light in jars of clay to show the surprising, or I'm sorry, the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. One really has to think that Paul had the Gideon story in mind when he wrote this. It's just too scarily similar. But, verse 8, this is where we hit the road. And sometimes we hit it hard. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So God is whittling, he's shaving, he's, he's stripping down, you, you down to 300, because... The life of God is going to come out of that weakness. And so you're wondering, why am I perplexed? Why am I struck down? Why am I persecuted? Why am I at the brink, an inch of the end of my life? Why am I always in fear and panicking? Because he is trying to shave off the coward and bring out the lion. Because he wants the light to shine. And so hard things happen because the jar must be broken open. In the way that Gideon, in the night, with his men surrounding the Midianites, blow their trumpets and then smash the jars open so that the light is shown, God sometimes has to bring us to places where we come to the end of ourselves and we feel cracked and we feel broken and we feel smashed 
because then the lion can come out. Then the light can come out. Then the strength can come out. And here's what's really cool. So in the time of Israel, um, trumpets were usually held by the captains of a thousand people. One trumpet held by the captain who leads a thousand people. And the torch as well. So when Midian hears the trumpets and sees 300 lights, they're thinking, oh, each of those lights represents an entire company of soldiers. And what happens is when the breaking happens and the light comes out and the trumpets are blown, Gideon looks stronger than he really is because God is doing something there. And the torches were of a sort of material which would um, smolder but not burn when they were in the pots. Um, so it would still, and actually some um, people that do survival skills in the wilderness learn how to do this. You, you make a torch with twigs that it smolders. It never actually goes out, but it's not burning. So you can wrap it up and put it in your backpack and you're actually fine. Um, these torches were like that. And the pots, they weren't actually on fire, but they were smoldering. There's enough heat in there that they could be activated. And so what happened is when the pot was broken, the air would rush in and it was the air which would ignite the torch back to life. And so it was only when the pot was broken that the torch ignited with light, that the torch was seen, that the torch became what it is. And so why do we sometimes have to face our fears? Why do we sometimes have to be whittled down less and less and go through pain and crushing and hardship and testing and this constant question of, I'm at the end of my limits? Because that's when your torch will flare up. So I say all this because we don't want to live cramped up in a cave anymore. I taught the whole first half of the message like this, didn't I? Horrible posture. Everything you're told not to do in public speaking, closed stance, looking like you're afraid. I did it on purpose because this is sometimes our posture and this is sometimes how we live. But God will bring things until we can finally learn to say, like Gideon, arise. There's something more going on here. I've been looking too much at myself. I have to look at the light, the lion that God wants to roar. He will do it. And so while we are trying to clamp on to our securities, we're actually cramping our lives in a cave. And he wants us to let go to let go of those things we trust in, to let go of those things that we look to for comfort, to make ourselves feel better or more secure, to say, let go of those and trust me. Because when you let go, you're releasing, you're loosing that smoldering flame. It comes out like a roaring light. And the lion is ready to lead with strength and courage. So we want to loose the lion That's what we want to do. Brothers and sisters and friends, the point is that it's in all of us. We are not always aware because we are so insulated in our caves of hiding, of wrapping our lives in, I'm not good enough. Just try to be, at least just try to make it. We've packed 
that, we've tamed that lion in that cave. If I'm in the jungle, I want that lion in the cave. I'm feeling pretty good about that. That's when he's loosed. I'm not feeling very good about that. We have suppressed what God has put within us. We have dimmed in a jar what God has ignited in us. And he will lead us to times when we question our ability so that the lion can be let loose and the light can be enlivened. Jesus called Lazarus out. He's going to call us out. And that's what he did. The angel of the Lord comes to Gideon, apparently in some sort of human form, because Gideon didn't know it was God until he disappeared. That's when he said, oh, that was weird. This is almost like the coming of the Son of God. It's God in human flesh before Gideon. And as Jesus calls Lazarus out, he's calling Gideon out of the wine press. And he's calling him by his true name. Not, hey, coward, hiding from the Midianites, but, oh, man of valor, go in this might of yours. That's what Jesus says to you tonight. He is not saying, when are you going to do more for me? When are you going to give more? When are you going to be enough? That is not the voice of God. That's the voice of Midian pushing you into the cave. He says, Uh, actually, you are enough, so let's take off the extra you've put on. That's actually suffocating your light and taming your lion. That's what he's saying. He's calling to us and saying, you are so much more than this. Let me use this might of yours. But, 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 but this might of mine, it's cowardice, it's anger, it's, it's, it's folly. It's, I know, I'm an odd God. Don't forget that. That's why I'm talking to you, knuckleheads. Not, I was not saying it. No, okay, never mind. He's saying that to me too. Um, knucklehead is up here, so you know that's true. Jesus, we thank you for not overlooking...